Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. I have been away for two and a half weeks, so they make me work hard this morning. If you're new to the life of the church, my name is Mark and I'm one of the pastors here which is an amazing, amazing privilege. I think when you do travel and you go into different contexts, you realize how amazing it is to worship with your local church, your local family, and there's nothing that kind of replaces that. So it's an amazing privilege to be back. Really do want to thank the team and all those who um, take a hold of everything while we're away. Um, it is difficult with the time zones to keep in touch, so literally we didn't. I didn't even have roaming, so you couldn't get a hold of me. They messed up my roaming, so I didn't have any contact. But amazing, amazing to be back. Flew in yesterday, had um, just under two weeks in the States at some of the most phenomenal communities that have seen the most amazing things. One of them, we spent um, a couple days with Craig Rochelle and his core leadership team. And if you know Craig Rochelle, he's the uh, life church guy. It's a big church. It's actually the biggest church in America right now. And they were the guys that their game change in their story is amazing to hear how God journeys. They were the guys who developed the version app. Do you know the version app? And the game changer in their story is in a age in a time when everyone was selling their preaching and churches were selling all their resources. They said, actually, what has God called us to do? And they felt that they actually needed to give everything away. They have had 319 million downloads of the Version app. Unbelievable. And just to see the generosity we experienced, unbelievable generosity and amazing on, they've got a little map in their, um, well, not a little map, they've got a big kind of TV in their kind of strategic leadership room. And on that TV, there are all the lights shining where the version is being downloaded. And it's quite inspiring to see people, they've downloaded the Bible. In, they've just developed 17 new languages for the Bible as a local. I think it's phenomenal. And they're getting Bible into hands of people. The third most downloaded place in the world of the version Bible app outside of America, South Africa. So we are popular there. And... Uh, just amazing to see. It was a, a crazy, crazy trip. We were invited, um, and I was traveling in Cairns, and she couldn't travel, so I phoned two mates, um, pastors, one from Durban, one from Joburg, and we traveled together, which means you don't rest. Pastors like talking and dreaming. Every context, we sat in about 24, 25 different sessions, but the object of learning and being inspired and partnering and ministering along the way as well um, has been phenomenal. Um, I wanted to mention a few things. One of them, it is quite intimidating going into these big American churches, I'm being honest. It's like you get there, there was like a mountain of Krispy Kremes. If you don't know, Krispy Kreme donuts at church. I'm like, easy to build church. When you just give Krispy Kreme donuts away, obviously. I mean, I was in and you could spot the South Africans. My one mate had had four, four donuts before the first service. And he went back in with you. I'm like, but you're embarrassing our nation here. Stop it. This is ridiculous. You've got to stop now. Um, they'll never, ever have us back. But um, amazing. Um, we, we saw God move in profound, amazing ways and learn so much in terms of faith and courage. I think the timing of this trip, we're doing Move the Mountains. And why are we doing Move the Mountains? Well, part of it is God is teaching me and calling us to high levels of faith and courage. And I love the American spirit in that regard, especially within the church. There is something of, hey, God, if God is in this, it's going to work. We can change the world, change the nation, and really inspired by some of those things. And then had a complete switch and change and went to Dubai and had the privilege of ministering in a church there that was planted by a friend of ours seven years ago. Young couple who just said, actually, we're going to trust God for something. 
and planted a church in a nation where actually they're not legal. They've got to work through companies and the church is underground and I'm not allowed to tweet the name of the church and you can't do things like geotag the location because churches have been shut down. But to see what God is doing and to feel the presence of God and creativity coming out of these local churches, met then afterwards with a bunch of local pastors just to encourage them and share, and just to see what God is doing around the world. We are part of a big story called the local church. The local church is glorious. The local church is still the hope of the world in every shape and form, whether it is the big whatever's in America. I mean, I walked into one building, I thought, oh my gosh, Lord, this is rather large. And you feel small all of a sudden, and the mountain of Krispy Kremes make your church building look small. And, um, and then you go into the smaller and, and the under-pressure church in the Middle East, and you go, God, it's still glorious. Still beautiful. People are getting encountered, meeting young people who, whose hearts have, were never changed and transformed in this nation where actually Christianity is out in the open in many regards, but go to an oppressed nation and they encounter the king in the middle of a desert where money is king. They encounter the King of Kings. And it's such an amazing, amazing privilege to see and to travel and learn. So thank you so much. Um, uh, we learn, you learn a few things while traveling. Um, I've traveled before, but I'm, I'm one of those overly ambitious guys. And one of them, Tyler said to me, could you breathe, bring three small printers back? And he went like this, where the stop. I mean, they were like this big. They were like the size of a wallet in my head, you know, till they arrived at the place we were staying. And each box was like this big, three of them with a printer for live kids. So your kids are going to have little printouts and snancy things we've wanted to do for ages and they're much cheaper in America. I'm looking at this. Then I realized they come with printer cartridges that weigh about 12 kgs. I weighed them and I've got to traipse. I'm, I'm literally at, at border control or customs or whatever in Dubai. They've changed the limitations to seven kgs on board luggage. So I did all my bag and then they're just stopping people. So I'm like, Nah, I'm like, I'm African, bro. I'm going to make a plan. I've got printer cartridges in my pants. My pants are like this. My pants are falling down. I'm going, it's for the children. I've got my pants. I can't even keep my pants up. My belt is so tight. And this board official looks at me. I've got, it's 31 degrees at two in the morning. And I've got a jacket on that has got pockets out there. She's looking. <laughs> And I, I try to joke with her. I don't know if you've been to Dubai, but the officials don't joke. So I said, well, I, I pointed to a very large man. I said, well, I'm still smaller than him. <laughs> and she didn't laugh. But at two in the morning, I know why she didn't laugh. So it's okay. But we got printer cartridges and printers back. And I will never do that for Tyler again, ever, 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 ever. I got on the airplane, I just showered, I was sweating from the jacket. I'm like, ah, oh, this is ridiculous. <laughs> Saving a buck. But it's all good. And um, it is exciting. We launched a double service in two weeks' time. And I want to remind us the why of that and keep talking the why. It, it is not, it's, it's not just to give church more options. Actually, part of the start of this is making room in our hearts for God to increase us and to His God. There are 7 billion people, more than 7 billion people in our world. Seven billion people. The church in most of the first world is declining at a rapid, rapid rate. It's growing in China and growing in third world. But in first one, you realize the gospel's got to be preached. We've got to make room in our hearts. We've got to realize there's an urgency to the mission of God. And one of the things I've come back with in my personal life and my personal story is there is an urgency to this story. Yeah. I've done church for most of my life. I'm pretty good at church. I've been in hundreds 
if not thousands of church meetings. But God hasn't called us to do church. God's called us. See, we aren't God's PR campaign for the world, for heaven. You know that? Just realize America is like king of PR. And so everyone's doing a PR campaign, and there's a million billboards if you drive anywhere. The church isn't God's PR campaign to this world. The church is here to preach the gospel so that we take as many sons and daughters as we can into eternity, for eternity, to worship and praise the king. Whatever color, whatever age, whatever background, whatever economic reality, God has called us, and he's called you and I. The pulpit is not the preaching platform of the world, to the world. It's become that in many ways, but it's not. Your life and our stories together, and there is an urgency to that story, but we'll keep, I want to encourage us in that regard, keep Keep inviting people into your world, not just a meeting. We're not trying to populate two meetings. Invite people into your world. Invite them into your world. Invite through conversation and write through warmth. Invite through love. And realize that God's called you to impact and take people to eternity with you. And um, anyway, I'm sure a lot more will come out of that. I, I, I learned something in America that opened my eyes to something. is When someone's preaching really well, the Americans do this. They, they kind of stand up in expectation like this. Or where I was anyway, in the Bible Belt itself for a while. It's like the oak stand. I'm like, why is he standing up? Next minute I find myself standing up. And we're all like, I'm, I'm with that guy. And we're all like. And then I thought about it. The only time people stand up when I'm preaching is to go to, to, go to the toilet. <laughs> or to fetch their naughty kids because they've been messaged. Your kids have been naughty, which is normally my wife. So... So I know, but, but I'm learning now. So, so if you stand up or you feel compelled to stand up, go for it. I'll, I'll claim it. Thank you, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. You're my mate. Yes, thank you. Nice haircut, buddy. That was good. Jeez. If only his father was that shop. Um, and, uh, <laughs> Quinton's not here this morning, so I can say that. <laughs> I've missed you guys. My eyes have got worse while traveling, so I've got some glasses. And we're going to preach the gospel. I'm actually horribly, horribly jet-lagged. So we're going to have fun this morning. It was, uh, I was awake at funny hours this morning. You know when you get hosted? I love being hosted, but I was hosted by this pastor in Dubai. But they had all these fancy lights that kind of you walked in the room and the lights went on. So I'm trying to sneak around the house because it's 3 o'clock in the morning and I'm awake. Everything about me is awake. I cannot sleep. I'd been lying there for three hours and I'm trying to get around the house without waking anyone up. I'm like, ah! Everyone, this is ridiculous. Anyway, that was not in the notes. God is good, eh? God is unbelievable. You know when you travel and you have the privilege of traveling and meeting, and you just hear story after story of the goodness of God. I met some of, in, in America, I met this really unbelievably high, high corporate guy. And he started telling me about Jesus. I'm so used to the wealthy of the world telling me about what they've got. He didn't tell me anything. I only found out afterwards who he was or what he did during his daytime. He just spoke about Jesus. He spoke about how Jesus had got into the brokenness of his life. And I'm reminded, God, you are so, so good. And then I sit with a man from the Philippines. We actually went to a restaurant. And this waiter, his name was John. And he, reminded, he said, he's not John the Baptist. But he says, John, he says, are you Christians? Like under... He, you could see he was taking a risk here. He was, this was risky. You don't do that. He said, yes, we're Christians. He said, I'm John from the Philippines. I also, I love Jesus. And, and we're standing there and, and my eyes start to cry. That's what happens. And um, it wasn't me, it was my eyes. And um, it was the desert, it's the sand. 
said, John, tell me a story. And John's dad died when he was five years old. He said, but it doesn't matter because the church loved us. There were six ch- children in his house. His mom was a single mom. She'd looked off the kids. She didn't have any income. And the father died in an accident. He was a taxi driver in the Philippines. See, there was no money. And then someone began to love us. And then they brought us to a church community. He said, they raised us. He says, I'm here because the church gave us opportunity. They gave us education. They loved us. He says, then I've come here and I should be working seven days a week. And I start working in a business that I was expected to work like a slave because there's essentially slave labor in the Middle East. And he says, I get Saturdays off every week because I have a Christian boss. And he starts to, he gets all emotional. We get emotional. It's all a bit of a mess. And, and, uh, and I'm just reminded, God is, he's no selector of economic brackets. He's no selector of nations. He, he, he's looking for hearts that will respond to everything he gives. And I'm just reminded how good, how good our God is. Can we pray quickly? God, we come this morning as we finish off this series um, where we have been looking at faith and faith that moved mountains. As you address your disciples, we're reminded of Ephesians 3 where it says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, God. We come to that king this morning. We come to you this morning, God. We come to the God of John from the Philippines who restored, redeemed, and held to, to the, the God in the middle of America who brings wholeness to broken stories. We say, God, you are worthy of all praise and honor. And our only job is to respond to you. Our only job is to keep running to you. Our only task is to keep pouring ourselves into all that you are and worshiping you, God. And we praise you this morning, King. We glory in you. I thank you, God. As I saw that picture, you've never stopped touching dirt. And you make it beautiful. We thank you, King, this morning. Amen. So we are landing the series, which really comes out of Matthew 17, where Jesus challenges his disciples as they're lacking faith in an area. Remember, these guys have walked with him for three years. Three years they've walked. They've seen the miracles. I've walked with about 28, 29 years now. And I've seen amazing things. And why we did the series is because I actually went for a walk in a beautiful part of, of our region here in a mountain. And I felt God address me. Will you still run at mountains for me? Will you still run at mountains with me? And the, 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 this whole series came out of a, I was reminded of a story of a friend of mine who had a bit of a midlife crisis on his 40th birthday. It happens. And so he was driving from Joburg to Durban. If you heard this story, I just want to remind us again. And he pulls his car over with his wife and his two daughters in the back. He says, I've got to do something. And he's driving from Durban, from Joburg to Durban. And there's a mountain next to Harry Smith called the Plattbach, which they like to call Table Mountain. But it's very much the Plattbach. It's not Table Mountain. And he said, actually, I'm 40 years old. Can I still run up that mountain? He put his running shoes on and he ran up the mountain. And it's a silly, silly story. But I felt God say, actually, will you still run at mountains? See, there have been times in my life where I have courage beyond that didn't make sense, and I ran into ICUs, and then things happened, and they didn't quite go well, and I found myself not wanting to go back into ICU wards again, not wanting to pray for the sick again, not feeling like I had the resolve and the resilience. To be honest, even last year, we, we had moments where this building was totally over capacity, and the parking was over capacity, and people's cars were getting duct taped by neighbors. And I, to be honest, I lack courage to multiply services, to multiply things. And so we, I back down. If I'm being brutally honest, I'm saying, God, I'm very comfortable where we're at. 
I'm very comfortable where we're at. And then God says, actually, I'm not about your comfort. I never came for your comfort. I came for my sons and daughters. I came that there would be a sense of urgency deep, deep down inside of you. I'm so reminded of God's heart for those who are far from Him. It's burning inside of me. Have you ever been in a shopping center and lost one of your kids? Block your ears, Ken. Just go like this. Okay. So this didn't actually happen. This happened. Didn't happen. But you take your kids and your wife says, here are the three boys. You sure you got them? I say, just relax, honey. You, you just relax. I got this. I am their father. And you go to a shopping center and all three are there and you're walking so you get a little comfortable. And one of them decides to check something else that no one else checks out. So you keep walking. And then you turn around and they're not all three there. You count one, two, one, two. Where's he gone? You know what happens in that instant? It's actually the two that are there, as long as they are safe, your eyes aren't on them. Every sense that you have and every bit of energy and every bit of everything that you have is fixated on finding the one that's missing. I'm sitting in the middle of a desert, totally jet-lagged, in the middle of the night, praising God, and He reminds me, of that story saying, Mark, will you still go after the ones that are missing? I'm so good at hanging around with the ones that are found. I like hanging around you guys, to be brutally honest. And if I don't know you, I'm telling you, we'll be best mates. But there's something inside of me that I hope and I think is the Father reminding me that there is, there are thousands and millions of people They're his kids and they're missing. And he wants them back. And he says, church, you're not my PR campaign making me look good on Facebook. You are my hands and feet called to go and fetch them. To find them wherever they're at. Even if they're hiding in the change room just over there. Thank you, Jesus. He was. My one. But sometimes we've got to be prepared to. Thank you. No, what you've got to do, you've got to stand a little longer and just stand like. Like there's more, co- like that, yes. That's exactly what it was, yes. That's exactly. If it's really good, you lift the hand like this. Like. There we go, there we go. This is not at all what I'm preaching about this morning, by the way. <laughs> I want to read, and I can't read this whole thing, but this morning is called Keep Digging. So I want to jump into a text this morning as we land the series, and it's kind of like a, let's go. Let's dig some ground. And this is a story that, to be honest, if I've ever sat with you in many counseling scenarios and and there's a drought or a famine in your life, I want to go here because it's a great story. It starts out in famine and it ends up in a good place where this guy, Isaac, has taught the people around him how to dig wells in lands where there's not much water. And actually, in our world today, Jesus breaks in and we have a source of water in Him, but often we'll be in environments where there isn't abundance of water. There is an abundance of resources. I even look at the, in Dubai, they have, they have taken and they've abused the resources around the city and replowed the sand into the sea so they can reclaim land. The problem is they're running out of sand to do the building. See, in Jesus, we don't run out of resources. But he teaches us how to go on journeys. And this Genesis 26 is a guy named Isaac. It says, now there was a famine in the land. 
Famine just means there was a lack. It means there was a lack. If there's a lack in your life, you're in the same scenario as this guy. Whether it's relational, whether it's brokenness in finances, whatever there is a lack, we come to Jesus like this guy did. He says, there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord said to, appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and to your descendants I will give all these lands, and will confirm the oath I swore to your, for, to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give them all these lands, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men in that place asked him about his wife, he said, She is my sister, because he was afraid to say, She is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah, because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she, really is, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. Then Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the men, white I'll have slept with your wife, and you have brought guilt upon us. So Abimelech gave orders to all the peoples, anyone who harms this man or his wife, shall surely be put to death. Isaac planted crops in that land. Which land? The land of famine. And the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. The man became rich and his wealth continued to grow until he became very wealthy. He had so many flocks and herds and servants that the Philistines envied him. So all the wells that the father's servants had dug in the time of his father Abraham, the Philistines stopped up, filling them with earth. Then Abimelech said to Isaac, move away from us. You have become too powerful from us. And he moved. And I, I'm not going to read this. I was going to read a bunch of scripture, but time is a bit tight. He goes on this journey and they stop up the well. So he moves somewhere else and they come, they get jealous. So the locals there come up, stop at those wells again. So he has to move again. He has to keep digging. He digs another well and he starts finding that he gets to places. And the ultimate line of the scripture in verse 32 says, that day Isaac's servants came and told him about the well they had dug. They said, we found water. He called it Sheba. And to this day, the name of the town has been Beersheba. And I want to, you got the story? Sorry, just for a time, I want to jump ahead a little bit. I want to call us this morning to keep digging. And I want to give you a picture because some of you don't know what this is. It's not a spoon for ice cream. It's not that. This is called a spade. And I learned these things are not easy to handle when I try to dig out the root of a tree. So the tree was only about this wide. I thought, I'm going to dig out the roots. So I started to dig. And you keep digging. And you think, one more, just one more, and I've got it. And you realize there was a whole lot more than one more. But the vision was I get this tree out so my kids could play in that area. This tree was getting into the roots of the house and causing chaos. So I had to get stuck in and dig out the roots. It wasn't easy. Digging's not easy. And this story is about a guy who got a word from God. And the first thing about going on a journey of faith and the first thing about seeing fruitfulness of God in a famine. See, we're so quick to jump circumstance or situation and think that's the answer. 
Unfortunately, as believers, generally when I look at God and generally when I look at His people, He tends to do more in the famine. He tends to do more in the trial. He tends to do more in the drought. He tends to do more in the most challenging scenarios than He ever does outside. But it's, number one, it starts with God. Why do I say that? The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, do not go down to Egypt. So he's sitting in a land of famine. He's saying, God, I want to be fruitful. I want to pioneer. I want to do things that becoming like Jesus, we want to do. We want to see things God advancing. But God appears to him and says, actually, I don't want you to go down where there is water. Where it'll be easy to plow, where it'll be easy to farm, where it'll be easy. I want you to stay here. But it starts with that God appeared to him. And many, if not most, people go on to want to do amazing things for Jesus. We get our hearts stirred. We gather around people in our community who are doing amazing things for Jesus. And we say, I want to do something for Jesus. But we go to the wrong starting point. The starting point is always God appeared to Isaac. God spoke to Jacob. God came to his people. God spoke to Moses. God came and appeared to his people. I want to encourage you this morning, if you want to do something for Jesus, find yourself first on your knees before God, in a quiet place, in a prayer room, however you have to do it. I'm completely ADHD. If a bunny ran through this room, I would spot it. It's like, I'm that guy. I have to work hard to make sure that I can give my time and attention and focus to God. Otherwise, I miss him. Just like you. And this guy, Isaac, understands that in the middle of And he takes it seriously in the middle of a famine. He doesn't want to hear the wisdom of this world. Google, best place to plant crops. It's not what Isaac did. He says, actually, God appeared to him and he listened. See, a faith journey doesn't start with our eyes. A faith journey starts with hearing God, seeing God, knowing God. You want to go on a faith journey? Don't do something for Jesus. Be with Jesus. Take time to be with Jesus. Slow down. You want to do great things for God? The best advice I can give you is slow down and allow him to speak. See, Isaac's journey of digging and seeing God comes is because his eyes were totally fixed on God. His eyes could have been fixed on the enemy and the fact that there was Gerar in the land who was leading the land or the famine. And so often when we want to go on on journeys and faith journeys, I see it in people's lives that we become masters of understanding famine. And we research famine, and we research the drought, and we research whatever it is. And we become so fixated on everything that's around us, rather than fixing our eyes on Jesus. Who is good, who is kind, who is faithful, who is greater than. I want to tell you, and says, God gives them the promises. The Lord appears, says, do not go down to Egypt. Why? Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. Travel America, what's the number one question? You guys are right. What about the drought? What about the politics? What about the land issues? What about, I'm going, hey guys, God's called me to live in Africa. He's called me to live in, it needs faith. But I'm telling you what I'm seeing in America, you need some faith here too. (laughs) Don't worry about me. Jesus is powerful right at the bottom of Africa. Our Wi-Fi is not as good, but power of the king is great. We need faith to live here now, guys. You need faith. I don't care what background, what story. You need faith. But I'm telling you, it's the time for the church to shine when we'll take God at his hands. He places his people, Acts 17, for times and places. Why? For his kingdom to advance. 
And when we're living for his kingdom and his eyes are fixed, it's actually easy to find faith and courage in him. I could not wait to put feet back on this soil. I love this land. I love this nation. I boast of this nation. Why? Because I've seen Jesus. It's not about our geographical position. It's not about coincidence or fate. It's not about any other providential idea we can come up with. It's about who Jesus is. You want to go on a faith journey? Start with God. Isaac's journey started because he started with God. Secondly, it says, uh, point number two, chase the life of God, not your own life. How do, I, how do I say that? Well, Isaac, he lies about his wife being a sister. And what comes in is this deformity. Why does he lie? Well, he tells us, he says, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. He's focused on himself. And when we're focused on ourselves, we start mixing things up. So how does this journey from famine to fruitfulness and digging wells? Well, he brings relational order. Word from Justin. Relational order comes where there's chaos. He brings formation where there is deformation. God wants to do that. You want to go on a journey where water will come in famine lands? You will be the one who bears fruit a hundredfold? Well, actually, you've got to allow Jesus into the places where it's hardest. Relational brokenness. Relational chaos, unforgiveness, emotions that are out of kilter with the word of God, prejudices that limit and hinder and keep us in small, small, small places. God wants to get inside of that. So we don't worry about ourselves. We live for what he lives for. There's a temptation in the church to water down the gospel, to make it smaller, to stop speaking about things like sin. But I'm telling you, God speaks about those things because he's given us a much greater gift called the grace of God that overpowers. And even though the apostle Paul says, I do what I don't want to do, God says, actually, his grace is greater still. But it doesn't mean we have to package sin away. No, we've got to talk about it. We've got to deal with it. He was worried about himself. He'd made an idol of himself. And the, the king in a foreign land has to address him. They actually need to bring order there. So he does that. And before he can go on a journey of digging these wells of life, God brings relational order to his chaos that he had created. Why? Out of fear. Most of the chaos that we live in is generally created out of some fear, anxiety, brokenness. And God wants to get inside of those things. You see, discipleship and becoming a disciple of Jesus is going on a journey of relationship with Jesus and allowing him inside. And I want you, like I do for my own life, to go on a journey of bringing water the way there is famine. We aren't those who chase water. We are those who worship the King of Kings who brings water from stones. That's who my God is. You know what trusting, you know, you know our Father who art in heaven, it was the first series I preached here. I arrived in Cape Town, pretty tired. I'd done a whole bunch of stuff in Durban. I thought, God, you've got to give me a series. The first series we preached was our Lord's Prayer. Hard one to go to, huh? Where are you going to go? The Lord's Prayer, good. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. What does hallowed mean? What does hallowed mean? I thought it was like, hey, God. Hello, your, hello. I don't know. I did. I thought it was like, to hello, God, is to like praise him. Whoop. So, yes, I had a jolling day. We all had a jolling day. And, but that's not what hallowed means. Hallowed is the same word that was used when Moses struck the rock twice. He was instructed to speak to the rock and water would come out. But he got angry and he didn't trust God. So he struck the rock. And the Bible says, actually, he didn't enter the promised land. Why? Because he did not hallow the name of God. To hallow God is to trust him. 
Our Father who art in heaven, I trust you. Before my daily bread, I trust you. Before I ask for anything else, there is a declaration from deep within my soul, I trust you. That has to be deep inside of us. Point number three, start digging and plant seed in faith. So what happens is Isaac planted crops in that land and in the same year reaped a hundredfold because the Lord blessed him. Where did he plant? In famine. Oh, I mean, God told me to start a business, but actually economics are not good in South Africa at the moment. I'm just going to hold that seed. No, sir or ma'am, if God told you, and in the presence of God, and in the quiet place with God, God has birthed a word inside of you and given you seed, then dig up the soil that is dry and weary and plant seed and trust that God will water. That's the life. I, I, I can't preach a series like Move the Mountains and not say, we need to move here. We need to take a hold of God here. I'm looking at entrepreneurs and people lo- leading their own business. I'm saying, you've got to trust God. He's given you seed. Some of you, there's, there's desires for justice in our nation and you're starting a business, not that you would become a millionaire, that you would provide work for those that would come and follow after you. I'm saying, allow that seed to be plowed into dry land and watch what God would do because for a guy named Isaac, God, God it says he reaped a hundredfold. He plant, means he planted 10 seed, he got a thousand. It's amazing. Move the mountains, why? Because we worship a mountain moving God. And I want to call us to something. We've got to dig up some soil. You know what you've got to do to put that seed down? You've got to dig up some soil. Yeah. You've got to get a little dirty. And what I found in my own life at times when I get a little comfortable, I don't like the dirt. Mm. Is that too honest? God, you're going to call me to go into what scenario again? No, I like telling the stories of when I did that 10 years ago, but I'd love to just helicopter preacher, you know? Just be a helicopter preacher. Just fly in on Sundays. And fly out. God says, I don't know where that noise came from. A helicopter sounds nothing like that. So I'm really bad at sounds. But God says, no, no, I put things in your hands so you can keep digging up dead soil. Keep planting seed deep down inside. And it's not the privilege of a preacher. It's the privilege of every person called a son or daughter of the living God. Why? Because there are promises of God on the other side of us planting soil in dead ground. I think some of you got to even test it. I think some of you got to go plant seeds in your dead gardens right now and say, God, actually, I, I, I was more freaked out than anyone. Kans and I ministered in Harry Smith years ago. I don't know if you remember. And we met this girl. She walked up to me. It was like there was no emotion in her life. I said, what, what's going on? She said, I've been depressed for the last three years. I'm visiting my sister in Harry Smith. I don't live here. And yet I'm here this Sunday morning. I said, I'm going to pray for you. And I had a weird picture while praying for her. I said to her, you're going to get home. And something that was dead would have come alive. And it is a sign to you that God is going to do the same with you. And she looked at me. Okay. I never saw her again for about three years. And I went to go preach at 3CR in Pretoria. And this girl walks up to me. I'm like, I know that face. But it's completely different. And I do the classic pastor thing. Hi, Mark said, no, we know each other. Um, I've never done that to any of you before, obviously. <laughs> ever. And, um, and she says, do you remember Harry Smith? I said, yes. She got home, and there was a plant that she had looked after for years, but in her depression state, she'd let it die, and it was dead. When she got home, no one had watered it for two weeks, and it was bright, standing, and alive. 
And since that day, her depression had left. She hadn't been on anti-antidepressant meds. She'd been littered into the local church. She was now a leader in life, overseeing some area um, in, in 3CR church. And our God is a God who brings dead things to life. Our God is the one who we plant our little seed in soil we can do nothing about. He is the one who brings it life. This is not some faith-building word. This is the Bible. That's what this guy's story is. It's given to us to show us and to call us into a story of digging wells. Here's the truth. You'll never reap a harvest unless you plant seed. You just it's, ask any farmer. You just won't reap a harvest. Your time... Yeah, are, you, are, you, are you planting something with your time? Are you planting something with your energy? Are you planting something with your finances? Are you planting something with your emotions? In this guy's journey, he planted in dead soil. And then he goes on a journey. And I want to say this. Opposition is not your enemy. The enemy is your enemy. Keep digging. Does that make sense? We get so focused on the enemy, and I'm going to come cast the devil out of Cape Town. Shake her like a ninja. I'm going to, ah! The devil's still in Cape Town. I was in church for 20 years in Durban. I heard so many people with such faith cast the devil out of Durban, but I promise you the devil's still in Durban. You know he's in Durban? The king of kings, too. His blood is glorious. He is more powerful, and my job is not to be obsessed with the opposition that comes. My job is to get on with the story that he's called me to and just keep a simple thing, keep digging. And Isaac goes to this land, and opposition comes, says, no problem, I'll go over here, and I'll just keep digging. Oh, what happens? I'm a son of God, so water comes from dry land. And opposition comes again, and they stop that up. Because the enemy wants to stop our life. And I could easily go back, well, God, I'm not going to dig anymore. Obviously, it's not very popular. He says, no, then I'm going to go to the next valley. And I'm going to teach those who are with me to dig wells. And I'm going to rename those wells with life. And he goes into his father's wells and he reopens and rejuvenates some of those wells. And ultimately, the picture is those who are with him are able to dig wells. What is the sign of maturity for me in the Christian walk? It's not the ability to quote scriptures ad verbatim. It's not the ability to know preachers. It's not the ability to, to, to just keep a squeaky keen life. The ability to become mature in a believer's story is the ability to teach others to dig wells of life in Jesus, not to become dependent on me. The ability of a believer is to walk in the face of opposition. Opposition will always be around in any advancing Christian story. Don't give it too much energy. Don't spend your hours and your days condemning the devil to, to wherever. The Bible says in James, resist the devil, submit yourself to God, and he will flee from you. You don't have to chase him. Just let him run. Submit yourself to God, His ways. You want order and peace and fruitfulness in your finances? Pursue God's ways. It's not complicated. You want order and peace in your relationships? Pursue God's ways. Get humble. Get the stuff that's deep inside out, in the light. Those are His ways. And what will happen? The enemy will flee. That's the Bible, guys. It's not me. It's not my testimony. It's the Bible. It's what Jesus came to do. And our faith teaches us to dig. It's not glorious. We make faith stories glorious because we love to go and, and a faith guy comes to town and everyone runs to church. It's a problem in the church. We've made the mundane something less than supernatural. We've made the everyday walking with Jesus in your job and in the services that you provide and in your Monday to Friday, we've made it somehow less than what can happen in a church meeting. And it's not 
Because all we are are like Isaac, those in famine lands with spades in our hands, digging wells of life so that Jesus can bring dead things to life. That is the gospel. Can someone stand up and... There we go. Thank you. There we go. We're going to get this thing in. <laughs> Sorry. Jeez, oh, I saw some interesting things. And um, I want a faith that never quits. I want to run with people who have faith that never quits. Because I'm being honest, there's times that I've wanted to quit. And then there's the simple word, keep digging. Oh God, there's no, this land is dead. No, you've got to keep digging. Oh God, but I've plowed. No, you've got to keep putting soil, seed in the soil. Oh God, but I've, I've given to that person and I've given time and energy. If I just invested my time. No, did I speak to you? Yes, God. Did I tell you to love that person? Yes, God. Well, keep putting soil in the ground. Because that's what I called you to. And watch, watch what only I can do. How do we keep digging? No, God. Hold on to his promises. Stay faithful and truthful and just keep digging. God brings the breakthrough. God brings the breakthrough. And I've realized one of the things I've had to repent of that has held me in a smaller place than I should have been is I've taken too much glory sometimes for the things that he did. You know, when we start taking glory for the things that he does, he has an amazing way of getting his glory. Because he's jealous for his glory. My job and what I get is not glory. There's honor for man in the story and the, God will celebrate. There's no glory for us. Whatever our roles, whatever. And God says, actually, I will have my glory. Your job is just to keep digging. It's not glorious. It brings glory to him. And I want to encourage us as we land this series, Move the Mountains. God has called us to move some mountains. We preached on healing. God's called us to lay hands on the sick. Not just in the four walls of the church, but in our city. And to declare and to see healing. God's called us to have financial stories that look different to the land around us. Not because of some prosperity message, but because we worship a God who is and promises prosperity to his people, and he holds. He says, actually, but what you've got to do is you've got to plow some seed. What you've got to do is bring my word and order and into the chaos. And what you've got to do is keep digging. Where there's relational brokenness. Where there's a city and a nation still wrapped up in brokenness around race and all these things. We have got to be those that keep putting good seed in the soil of our nation so that it turns it all around. We have got to be those who keep speaking words of life into dead soil. And don't tell me that there's all sorts of blood running in the nation. I speak the blood of Jesus into this nation. I'm more passionate about this nation than ever before. I'm more passionate about a church that looks completely different to the brokenness and divide of this world as we get into each other's lives. And God says, actually, I want to bring my church to be a sign and wonder to the world. You, church, are a sign and wonder to the world. You're a sign and a wonder. So let's shine. You know how we do that? By getting down in the dirt of this world. Full of power, full of might, full of faith, bringing Him glory. Let's move some mountains. What mountains are you trusting God to move? Keep digging. Plant soil in dry ground and watch what only Jesus can do. Can I pray for us? Is that all right? It's so good to be back home. Jesus, we worship you this morning. I pray move our hearts from apathy this morning. Move my heart. Strip comfort out of me, God. Strip smallness out of me and let your word 
pull me into a bigger story. I pray for those that maybe even this morning are listening and going, that's great for you, preacher guy, but what about me? I pray would you get inside that story and reveal that you are jealous for your glory in and through that very story today. I don't care where people have gone. I thank you that I worship the king who got down on his knees in dirt and wrote a new story for a broken lady and you'll keep doing it. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. Thank you that you are for us. And as men and women leave this place, I pray let them go with courage. Let them go with strength. Give them courage to overcome the things that would limit and hinder them, God. Even this morning, some need to bring order and peace to relationships. Do it, God. Some need to get humble again. I saw you look at Isaac and he just remained humble even as opposition came. I pray, God, do start with me. Start with us. Start with our nation. And have your glory in this world, we pray. We worship you, God. Amen. Amen.